Welcome back to Sex and Couples Therapy with a Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, LICSW and CST, that's Licensed Independent Clinical Social Worker and Certified Sex Therapist, Sex and Couples Therapist. Um, and I'm here today once again with my lovely producer, Vicki, whose hair... Her hair looks fabulous. Hi, I just Vicky. got a haircut. <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> really, really good. And today, um, Vicky and I are going to be talking about, uh, well, we're titling our podcast, Cover Up to Lover Up. And that's lover, not love her, but lover up. Cover Up to Lover Up, Reaching Full Sexual Potential. Uh, sex therapy is typically you know, 10 sessions, 12 sessions and couples therapy, the national average is about 16, give or take. Um, and you know, for obvious reasons, I mean, sex is a little more specific and couples is, uh, layered in with, with other stuff besides sex, but it's also interesting because, um, you know, we've talked about individual anxiety and I just want to say that, um, this will be, um, you know, about relation, somewhat about relational anxiety. We're actually doing our next podcast on that, on on the the anxiety that goes on between couples. But once couples come in for sex therapy, um, they've made lots of headway, and they are <laughs> headway. <I don't> think. <laughs> so many jokes, right? <laughs> But, the, the, you know, they've gotten to the point where they're brave enough to come in and talk about sex. And sex is the way forward in terms of uh, strengthening the relationship. And by the time they get there, they've done a lot of work already. And um, they're getting more at the heart of intimacy, believe it or not. You know, get really talking about sex gets us, gets us more, um, more quickly to getting at how to be intimate. Um, and as I, as I have said before, and, and maybe I haven't here, but, uh, you know, you can have communication without intimacy, but you can't have intimacy without communication. Makes sense. Does that make sense? Like you and I communicate, Vicki, but you know, we're not in a relationship, right. Right? right? Um, we're in a, this relationship, but you know, when couples are in a relationship, they're in an intimate relationship. So, um, they, they can't have that extra added beautiful piece of intimacy without the communication. And that's, you know, also true of sex. So we're going to be talking about that today. Um, and I, and, you know, we were talking earlier, Vicki, about you ha- loving your coffee in the morning, as do I. Right. And, you know, a lot of times when people come in, uh, well, now I'm doing it on telehealth. So when they show up for the session, um, you know, they're running from work or, you know, they've just had their coffee and slowing down is such a beautiful piece of this work. So I thought maybe we could start with a, a lovely little two minute mindfulness practice. I think that'd be great. Oh, good. Okay. So I'm going to do it with you. And we've got Paul there in the background. Hey, Paul. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be inviting the guys actually in, in the future to get in on the conversation. So uh, that'll be Paul and Justin in the future. But Paul, it said, I think he, you said, uh, Paul, that you were going to do this along with us and we'll have our audience out there doing it along with us. And it's so lovely and super brief. And it's just a way of downshifting so that we can begin to um, develop ways of going from the the, the workaday, uh, fast-paced world to being with our partner uh, in relationship and in terms of intimacy. So how I like to begin the mindfulness meditation, and I've adapted this from Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, which is a book that's up on the website uh, from which I get no kickbacks. I just love people to read it because it's so beautifully written and informative. So I've taken this a little bit from Emily. So thank you, Emily. So how I like to begin is I ask people if they're comfortable to close their eyes so I'm going to do this with you, Vicki, as we have our eyes closed. And I'm going to ask you to just draw your attention to the breath as you breathe in and breathe out. Just bringing your attention to the rise and the fall of your chest with every breath in and every breath out. And we'll just stay there for a few moments. And if you choose, you can allow any tension in your shoulders to drop away, any tension anywhere in the body. Feel free to imagine it melting away or floating away or drifting away. And again, just bringing your attention back to the breath and the rise and the fall of your chest as you breathe in and breathe out, just breathing naturally.
And now I'd like you to begin to notice if your mind starts to wander. And just notice where it might be wandering off to. Just knowing that that's normal and natural and in fact healthy. So just playing the observer for a moment. Just seeing where your thoughts go. And we'll stay with that for a few seconds while I quiet my voice. And now gently nudging your attention back to the breath and the rise and the fall of your chest as you breathe in and breathe out, becoming more and more relaxed with each breath. And we'll just stay there for a few moments. And one more time, just noticing your mind, if it's beginning to wander. If it's not, that's wonderful. And if it is, that's wonderful. And just noticing where it's wandering off to, perhaps the laundry list of things there, there is to do, or perhaps it's just where you would rather be in the moment, or what you'll be doing later tonight or tomorrow. So just noticing where your mind is going. And just sitting in as non-judgmental a position as possible, playing the observer. And we'll stay there for a few moments. And again, just nudging your attention back to the breath and the rise and the fall of your chest as you breathe in and breathe out. Just letting go and knowing that you can call on this two-minute mindfulness practice anytime you like, like a little tool in your tool belt so that you can take a break when you need it. And slowly just coming on back to the room, opening your eyes and just being back with us. How are we doing? So relaxed now. Oh, good. Uh, you look it. That's nice. I actually, yeah, usually it, it, I have this. Ahead, I have this book that I actually have been reading in the morning with my coffee. It's called Mindfulness for Every Day. Oh, wonderful! And they're just these really cute little little things for each day. Who's the writer? Yvette Jane. Lovely. And it's just this really cute little book with all these pictures and. It's nice. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. My mom got it for me for Christmas. <laughs> Excellent. Your mom, the therapist. <laughs> my mom is. My mom is also a social worker. So, I know. Yeah. Shout out to Vicky's mom. Hey, ma. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Well, that that's was so nice. Cool. That was a well, great she did way a great to start job. this. She did a great job with you. Oh, hey, thanks. I'll let her know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, this idea of, of you know, anxiety, um, you know, we all have it to one degree or another, you know, and it's just, you know, look, fear is at the core. We've talked about this before. It's a really important emotion. It keeps us alive. But then when we start to worry a lot and, you know, worry can layer up, layer up, a double trouble thinking, I call it, you know, you have you have the worry thought and then you start worrying about the thought mm-hmm. and then your worry 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 can lead to anxiety can lead to panic and we really don't want to get into those panic states so um developing ways to you know all those healthy ways we've talked about of managing anxiety coping right. whether it's taking a walk running you know pleasure reading um eating well etc cetera, etc cetera. well because a lot of anxieties the root might be similar but they just present differently right mm-hmm sure um yeah, I mean, that's why I think therapy is so important because it's it can be an education in life. You know, it's sort of reality checking. Mm-hmm. It's looking at where our thinking is tripping us up, our mistaken beliefs, our cognitive distortions. Um, and in fact, this might be a nice note to begin with. I have this, uh, as I was thinking about the podcast today, I was also uh, reading and I thought, hmm, I think this quote from... The Ethical Slut by Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy. It's a kind of an older book, and I know it's a, a kind of um, 
interesting, possibly shocking title, but um, the ethical slut is a great phrase, right? I mean, we can be sexual and ethical at the same time. Um, so the, the um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a turn here and talk a little bit about how our thinking um, oftentimes is very anti-sexuality. You know, it's very, it can be sex negative rather than sex positive. You know, all those messages we get growing up, uh, you know, good girls don't, sex is dirty. I hear this a lot from folks. And so we've been raised in this society system world, particularly here in the U.S., where uh, sex is taboo, etc. So, um, uh, Easton and Hardy have this wonderful quote that I stumbled upon the other day, sort of rereading this. And, um, this is from their third edition. Uh, they say in his lectures to young communists in Germany during the rise of Hitler and the Nazis, psychologist Wilhelm Reich theorized that the suppression of sexuality, I'm going to say that again, the suppression of sexuality was essential to an authoritarian government. Without the imposition of anti-sexual morality, he believed, I'm going to say that again, without the imposition of anti-sexual morality, he believed people would be free from shame and would trust their own sense of right and wrong. They would be unlikely to march to war against their wishes or to operate death camps. It's hmm. an interesting concept. Yeah. So, um, you know, I want to make sex uh, and sexuality and intimacy uh, consenting, you know, all of this, again, cons consent is key between two consenting adults, something wonderful and beautiful. Um, you know, I think of it as the elegance of our universe. In a sense, when couples come in, I am so interested. Uh, it's like it, for me, it's almost like watching a, a great film. Or, or reading a great novel, uh, I get to see these stories unfold in front of me. Mm. And just the little gestures that I'm watching, you know, now via telehealth and, and when it was in person, you know, in person, um, it's so elegant and beautiful, these interactions, whether they're, of course, I like the positive ones better. And I, I want to get people putting more positive neurons in their neuropathways to be happier. Um, but I, sex and couples therapy, I think of as key to help people rethink what it means to be sexual and to be a part of humanity. You know, I, I talk with clients oftentimes. I know I'm digressing from sexual potential for a second, but okay. it's all can it's all connected. I talk with clients about what it means to be a husband, a father, uh, you know, a, a, a wife, a mother, to be white or a person of color, a person of, of whatever gender, um, transgender, you know, the meaning of all of our roles, whether it's sexual identity, gender identity, you know, we're all as humans seeking pleasure, uh, healing and the reduction of anxiety and therefore quality of life. Right. So, you know, there's individual anxiety, then there's relational anxiety and to connect it back to today's topic, um, there's relational anxiety between people. And, yeah. and I want to help people not necessarily lower it, sometimes, yes, but learn to tolerate it so that they can lower it. That's part of the process, too. Yeah. Tolerating our frustration, our anxiety. Uh, I think I've talked about this before, exposing ourselves, exposure therapy to the thing that we fear. Right. And I think especially right? when it comes to sex and relationships, I know I've talked about this before, but you know, if, if I felt a certain way and there was something that I wanted or that made me feel good or that I enjoyed and I brought it up to my partner and my partner kind of not shamed me in a way, but made me feel strange about it, then that would just bring up so much anxiety and, you know, be like, well, if I put myself out there for this, I don't want to continue to put myself out there because I don't want to feel this way. And I think conversations about sex between couples and things like that are so important to make sure that both people are being heard and that, you know, that your relation, your relational health is, yeah. you know, as best as it can be. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so building empathy is really important. You know, just cause your partner likes, uh, you know, anal sex and you don't, mm. um, doesn't mean you have to do it. Right. It just means that you want to hear that from your partner and then you figure out, I don't know, maybe someday you might be more open to it or maybe you never would be open to it, but at least you're talking about it. Right. And you're, you know, having empathy and, and accepting what turns them on. And that that makes them part of, you know, the beautiful person and the whole person that 
who they are. And I think it's also a respect thing, right? You know, just being respectful of the other person and and what they like is also so important, even if it's not what you like. And I just Mm -hmm. think, you know, just because your favorite color might be blue and my favorite color might be yellow, that doesn't mean that I'm like, well, you know, that's stupid. (laughs) It's just like, oh, I like like yellow better. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And I always come back, you know, I think on one of the blogs, that we did, Vicki, you, you chose the, the fist, you know, the tolerance mm. fist. And I always think of that when, when what you're talking about comes up, that, you know, tolerance is so important, not only, you know, tolerating our own emotions, negative emotions, but tolerating our, our partners and, and our friends and, and the people that we're in relationship with, tolerating the thing we may not like, but, but saying, hey, well, you know, that's cool. I don't like that, but that's okay. You can like that. And, yeah. You know, we can be different and still love each other. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I love, I love that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was thinking about the podcast today and, um, you know, I, I started thinking that I feel like, especially in this day and age that we're living in, uh, with everything that's going on in the news and in the world, um, I see this as standing on the edge of a transformational moment in time. Yeah. And so for me, I think that's making meaning, you know, in a way that feels very important. You know, we can be sad, we can be down, or we can think about things as, uh, I don't know, useful, helpful, uh, uh, making change as part of evolution. And, and that, that gives greater meaning to things. Um, and, and I think I'm thinking of it like that because I think there's so much to be gained for, for individuals, for couples, for, for families, communities, humanity. Um, and, and we make a, a world of difference by developing our integrity so that we are reaching for our full potential for ourselves and in our relationship, our sexuality, right? And so today, you know, cover up to, to, to be a lover or lover up, you know, is reaching our full sexual potential. Um, and, and as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about this neat idea about um, the negative mindset versus the happiness mindset. What's that? Is that, is that so like the, a, an idea or is that just a... Yeah, it's, it's an idea that's related to therapy. And, you know, if people are anxious or depressed, um, sometimes we're stuck in this depressive mindset, which is thinking that uh, things that we experience are personal pervasive and permanent Mm. versus this what i call or what i've read to be called the happiness mindset which is where we we think of um whatever is going on for us as part of the human condition Mm -hmm. which is understandable manageable and even enriching interesting so when I'm working with couples, be it sex therapy, like let's say a man, it, you know, is saying to to me, uh, "Gee, I, you know, I had a moment where I lost my erection, and now I'm in a place where I'm really anxious about it, and it's really bothering me, and it's it's sort of akin to athletes, right? When they lose, you know, let's say they, you know, for a moment they lose their swing or they lose their pitch, and now they're off." You know, and now that double trouble thinking is happening. The thing happened, and now they're worried about the thing, and now they're worried about the worry about the thing. So they're overthinking <laughs> they're this, it, so the thing keeps happening. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the overthinking, yeah, leads us to this kind of place of of awful negative emotion, of permanence, like, oh, my God, this is never going to change, or you know, it's always going to be like this. Um, and then I can help them, or a therapist can help them shift this mindset where we're starting to think, all right, well, this is understandable. This happens. This is part of what it is to be human. It's manageable. And then we can even, as we kind of go through it and get better, and it does get better, and there are ways to do that, which is, for example, if someone's experiencing erectile dysfunction or whatever the problem might be, to slow down, take a lot of deep breaths, talk to your partner about how to be looking at this differently, that it's not the end result that's important. It's not the goal. It's not the erection, the orgasm, or penetration that matters. It's the journey. It's the pleasure. It's uh, the steps along the way. So I want both partners, even if one partner is only coming in, let's say he's the one in a heterosexual relationship coming in talking about his erection and she refuses, um, I can still help him help himself and her. Yeah. To let her know that it's okay. This is not the end of the world. Let's lighten up, you know. Um, 
there's a, an app out there called Coral that I stumbled on, uh, and they talk about horizontal happiness. I, little, I love that little I phrase. I love that really phrase. Sweet. So for folks looking to kind of enrich their, their sex life, whether they're, uh, they have no desire, low desire, moderate desire, whatever, uh, high desire, and they think somehow they need to make it lower. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, they can have horizontal happiness through this app, Coral. Um, there's also, uh, I started reading a book by uh, Stephen Snyder. He's my New York City compatriot because, you know, I'm born and raised in Manhattan. Um, and he's a doctor and an ASEC certified sex therapist. And he wrote a book called uh, Love Worth Making, How to Have Ridiculously Great Sex in a Long-Lasting Relationship. Oh. And you can go online and just read the first chapter for free or at least part of it. And, and he talks – actually, he writes for men. Um, <clears throat> I think he's aiming at men. He, he's probably aiming at everyone. I haven't read the whole book. But he, he starts out with – he says, listen, uh, assume the position of being dumb and happy. <laughs> you know, like let go of all this negativity. Just like step into blah, sort of not knowing anything, right? Sort of this mindlessness. Be empty. Be – be, be just kind of, and dumb meaning, you know, just kind of let go of all that stuff that's gripping you, all these thoughts, and, and just kind of get happy. Um, uh, who else did I want to quote? Oh, yeah, uh, Dr. Joy Brown, who's a, a longtime mentor of mine, New York City psychotherapist, who's now passed on, unfortunately. But she used to call it cheerful and stupid. <laughs> She used to make hats and sweatshirts and, you know, like in your, if you're in like, for example, if you're, you know, at your in-law's house and, you know, someone's being very negative, uh, you know, just assume a position of cheerfulness and kind of stupidity. You know, don't don't get sucked into people's negativity. So. You know, I think not getting sucked in is so hard, <laughs> but it's also one of the best things that you can do for yourself. You know, I think. Especially there's so many things to be negative about right now, especially, but there's also so many things to be happy about. And I think it's sometimes it's hard to make that conscious effort to not let that bother you or oh, for sure. You know, it's yeah. difficult because it's so easy to be like, you know, this is awful. This bothers me. I'm angry about it. And it's really hard to let it go and not let it eat away at your mm. happiness and take up space in your brain because it's not worth it sometimes. I mean, now granted, sometimes it absolutely is worth it, but it's mm. tough figuring out what really is worth it. What's not, what do I mm -hmm. really want to be doing today? Do I want to let this take up my whole day kind of thing? So, mm. yeah. 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 I mean, in my own life, I just try to move away from negativity. Yeah. Um, now, look, if you're angry about, we've talked about this before, probably if you're angry about something, it may mean that there's an injustice going on. That's important to acknowledge. Um, so the feeling is again, you know, the, the compass that tells us what direction we, we yeah. need to go in. And it's, it's um, assessing so, too the situation and you know, what is, it's hard to figure out what is really important to be mad about sometimes and what's really not that important to be mad about, especially when we're so, it's so in front of us, it's hard sometimes to take a step back and really look at the situation. Yeah. I mean, when I see suffering, that makes me sad. That makes oh, me for angry. Sure. So I want to help, you know, those who are suffering. Um, but I think when it comes to just a, a conversation or you might be in a, a, you know, with, with folks, um, unsolicited advice is never welcomed. You know, unless someone is asking me, what do you think? I'm probably not going to tell them what mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not going to because they're not going to take to it anyway if they're not asking my advice. Yeah. So that's what I've, I've when my friends come to me now, I've started asking them, are you looking for validation and support or are you looking for my opinion and my advice? Because mm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, sometimes yeah, they sometimes they just want to vent and I'm like, OK, cool, I can. I can do that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, I love that you're saying this because this leads right into this idea that, you know, um, the things that I wanted to talk about today uh, have to do with, uh, you know, growing ourselves. Right. So it sounds like you're you're finding, um, you know, you're in your how old are you? 28. 20s? 28. 28. OK. You're so mature. I thought you were going to say 30. 
um, yeah, you're in your late 20s, right? Early 30s. This is where we're beginning to really grow. I mean, at 25, we're sort of done. The brain is done developing. Sometimes it's 21. Sometimes it's later. They, they think it's anywhere between 21 and 30. And and you're in this this now this place where you're really growing and figuring out how to be uh, your best self in these in relationships, friendships, right? So, so today is this conversation. I think about developing or growing oneself in in sexual exchanges, particularly. Mm. Um, you can apply it to relational changes too. You know, the concepts. Um, but by the practice and the continuing practice of of again, like I said before, tolerating one's own anxiety in order to improve sexual anxiety or relational anxiety today specifically more about sex and <laughs> and a lot of this i've sort of taken these ideas from my my favorite dr david schnarch never know if it's schnark i say schnark but some people say schnarch <laughs> <laughs> schnarch, schnarch is just so hard to say so i say <laughs> schnark well, yeah <laughs> anyway he's a you know a doctor and a sex therapist um and I have some of his material on my website under the literature section for folks to look at. But um, so, so he talks about these five elements that I want to touch on today for reaching full sexual potential. Mm. Um, and it also reminds me of, of these. I think I talked about this la- at the end of last podcast or the one before. There, are, you know, I love all these numbers, right? I love to do math. Uh, I love to do math and sex therapy. Uh, <laughs> And I can talk more about that later. But, well, let, let me talk about that now. Like when it comes to, for example, polyamory, mm. right, which is not something lots of folks in New England or in New Bedford anyway talk about. <laughs> um, I think it's more of a Boston thing or a New York thing. But, um, you know, the math that's relevant to this is uh, you have two people, you have, you have kind of two sets of problems. Mm. Uh, three people, do the math. Now you have three sets of problems or... 50% more mm. <laughs> problems, four people, you know, five people and so on. Yeah. So, you know, the multiplication of the, the number of people obviously ma- ma- uh, multiplies the magnitude of, of the challenges that we would be dealing with in, in relationships. Yeah. Um, but I, I talk about these five elements. Uh, I talked about them last time, vulnerability. If we develop our ability to be vulnerable over time, this is very, very helpful with our partners. Uh, Developing risk-taking, uh, developing the ability to be authentic, um, developing strong interpersonal communication, and comfort in managing conflict. And when I see couples do that, they're growing. They are, as as Schnark would say, they are um, pouring themselves into the crucible, uh, you know, where we pour in these precious metals, and the crucible is the, is the hot vessel that at high temperatures you know makes all those liquid elements become something greater and more more valuable like bronze etc so um marriage is the crucible that grows us up essentially so so the five elements you know in reaching full sexual potential um the first one i like to talk about with folks um is deepening your emotional involvement in the moment and optimizing this is quoting Schnark, and optimizing the depth and breadth of communication with your partner. So, you know, you want to get together during sex, right? You want to uh, share your thoughts while making love. You want to laugh. You want to have fun. You want to enjoy it. And, and this is something I think people forget, you know. <laughs> Sometimes people are doing it just to do it because they think, all right, well, we should do it, right? Sometimes people, sometimes people aren't thinking about it at all, and that's when they show up. You know, lots mm. of low-sex, no-sex couples are showing up saying we haven't had sex in, in months and sometimes years, mm. you know, two years, three years, more. Um, and I think there's this idea, once again, um, Harkening back to how we're thinking about sexuality or mm. not thinking about sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if we're if we're not thinking about it, then, you know, it's off the table. And it's very normal that we're not thinking about it because there's so much going on in life. Jobs, right? Mortgages or or lack of jobs and unemployment in COVID, for example. Right. Uh, the stress of, you know, just the world life, the kids, the mortgages, the rent, the in-laws, the money, how we see everything, money, yeah. everything. Yeah. So sex is the last thing on the list quite often for couples. Um, and again, if they start to think about sex, plan sex, mm. which sounds so unsexy to people, but of course 
you know, what's more unsexy than never having sex? I think planning sex is less unsexy than never having sex. I would agree. I would agree. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people think it's awkward, but yeah. No, we've, we've talked about it before. You know, it, it opens up an avenue for a couple if you're planning it that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have had before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we touched on this before. I think it bears repeating that there's a lot of planning that goes on in the beginning of relationship. Right. Mm. Um, No no matter who the partners are, if it's a, a, you know, LGBTQ couple or there's a a heterosexual couple or or transgender couple, you know, when you are seeing this person that you're attracted to and you want to get with them, you're thinking about how am I going to get with them? How am I going to contact them? How am I going to ask them out or in COVID ask them in? <laughs> uh, right. How, how there's a lot of planning that goes into it. You know, what will I wear? Uh, where will we go? What will we do? Um, you know, you that know. that's a great tie back into the first one, you know, deepening your emotional involvement. When you're first starting out in a relationship, you're so emotionally invested and emotionally involved because it's so new. And I think that's mm. so, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. No, you're right. And you're making me think that, you know, we, we are adopting or not even consciously, but we're curious in the beginning, you know, not, not furious. I love that, that be curious, not furious, you know, be, be, um, be interested. We're interested in this new person. Um, and that's, a, of course, part of the, the natural turn on in the beginning is that this person is novel. They're different. You know, the novel is erotic. Uh, Esther Perel talks about this a lot. Um, you know, what is new is a turn on because it's it's just different. And it's, you know, something where it's unfamiliar. Uh, it's strange. Right? <laughs> so so the strange or unfamiliar is, is part of when I'm working with couples, you know, on building erotic fantasy. I kind of want to know what, you know, what turns them on. Not, not, a, not to be, you know, to, to, to help them. This is you know, not for me. Um, but for, for them to be curious about their own uh, imagination, building their own, developing their own imagination and finding out for themselves what's sexy. Some people don't have erotic fantasies. They've never thought about it. They haven't been encouraged to have them and they're important. I think that also that segues really, really well into that second element. You know what I mean? Cause uh, the, the second mm-hmm. element you have here is broadening your repertoire and, you know, sharing the experience of what you like to heighten pleasure for both people. And I think at the beginning of a relationship, obviously you can talk more about the actual element itself, but at the beginning yeah. of a relationship that might be happening more because it's new. So you don't know this other person. Mm, yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. So, so the idea is, you know, people say, well, I want to get back to the way it used to be. Well, we, we can't do that. This is impossible. That's not reality. You know, we can't, we can't time travel back. Right. Um, well, no one has yet. So <laughs> I'm going to assume we can. Uh, and we can, I, I, we can interview some scientists about that and get their thoughts on it. But anyway, <laughs> for the, the here list. and now. <laughs> right, exactly. Right now, we can't time travel back. So, so what do we do? I mean, we need to pull from what was uh, the thing then that led to that excitement, which was what you just talked about, Vicki. Um, you know, the newness and, and, and being interested or curious about your partner. Um, and, you know, using some of that in the relationship today for now and to sustain us over time. So, so that second element, yeah, broadening your repertoire, using variety. You know, if you're somebody who likes to be on top, get on the bottom, switch, <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, you know, for men, I'll suggest to them, for example, to, uh, you know, if you lose your erection, do oral sex on your partner um, and, and move in ways for, for everybody, move in ways that turn you on. You know, don't don't be afraid to do that, um, you know, because that's a turn on. And, and when you share of yourself uh, and when you share your experience of what turns you on, that can heighten your pleasure. It can heighten your partner's pleasure. Um so I want people to do that. And I know for folks, it's like, oh, that just, it can bring up lots of uh, anxiety emotion around anxiety. <laughs> Thank you. That's it. Anxiety, embarrassment, 
Uh, you know, then there's all those layers of I don't feel good about my body mm. and what does my partner think of me? And uh, I want people to be pulling their attention back to their own sensation like we did in the beginning with the mindfulness practice. Mm. Uh, pull your attention back to your breath can be one thing, um, but it can be sensation. So I want people to be thinking about what does it feel like in the experience at the moment for you, not for your partner. Be thinking about your own sensation experience, uh, temperature of your partner's skin, your skin, skin together, uh, texture. Um, so, so let's go back to temperature, you know, cool, warm, hot, uh, cold, texture, smooth, hard, sinewy, um, pressure, uh, soft, moderate, firm. You know, if you bring yourself back to sensation experience, it really can lead to much more pleasure. And what we typically do is we're thinking about our partner, and that's where we get tripped up, um, and we, we end up losing touch with our pleasure. That makes sense that for makes the, sense. that does. All of these elements, they just flow so well into each other because that's the third element. Oh, oh right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like listening to you, and I'm like, wow, these really all do work together so well. That's oh, well, that's the... true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so right. The third one is, you know, reducing anxiety that gets in the way of pleasure and connection and increase. Now, here's something that's counterintuitive. Increasing pleasure facilitating anxiety. Mm. Helping develop our ability to tolerate the anxiety and begin to enjoy it. So, for example, um, looking at each other during orgasm. Mm. That's not something people do often. You know, pretty often people are closing their eyes because they're enveloped in their own fantasy mm. or maybe they're just kind of in, in, in touch with their own senses or, or sensuality. And that's good. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. Um, but again, in, in the interest of element one, right? Or, no, it was two, broadening your repertoire. Uh, do something different. You know, if you're always closing your eyes when you come or orgasm, open them. Look mm. at your partner, you know. Ask them to look at you. Yeah. You know, that, that's, it'd be a different, interesting experience, which, again, um, spices things up, if you will. And that's a, um, that, that might be you know, like the, a small way to open things up, you know what I mean? Where it's not a super big, I mean, for some people, that's probably very anxiety provoking and, and something, you know, that's, that's very large to some people, but to people that might not seem that as such a big deal and might be looking for a smaller way to kind of get into all of these elements. That might be a great way to start. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And it's a way of increasing intimacy. You know, oftentimes I, I want people during the session not to be looking at me, but to be looking at each other. Mm. And that's, that's an exercise in tolerating anxiety, you know, when we, mm -hmm. you know, people's natural inclination is to turn and look at me. And I tell them, look, I'm, I'm your coach. I'm on the sidelines, you know, you, you can hear me, um, but I want you to be with each other because that's what's most important. Um, so, you know, part of that, the reduction of anxiety and, and then also increasing uh, pleasure facilitating anxiety, right? Some of the stuff that doing the thing we fear, you know, if they, I want people to think about the metaphors of, um, you know, if you think about, did you ever play an instrument, Vicki? Uh, I played piano when I was little and then I lost it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's all right. But you remember sitting in front of the piano and practicing scales? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever find any of that frustrating, boring, found it repetitive. Repetitive, yeah. Did you ever get to the point where you thought, oh, well, this is kind of cool. I can do this. Yeah, as I got better. Yeah. And did you end up playing a simple little piece ever on the piano? Yeah, I actually ended up switching to play by ear because I found that more challenging and more fun. But <laughs> Oh, great. So you started having fun with piano. Yeah. For oh, sure. fantastic. Doing it your way, which is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You had some of the basics under your belt, though, right? Because you took some lessons, it sounds mm -hmm. like, or mm -hmm. out of a book or with a teacher. Yeah. So this is the idea that, you know, even if we say to ourselves, well, I've never really found for women, for example, I might hear some women say, 
yeah, I self-touched a little bit when I was younger or experienced pleasure for myself, but you know, it didn't really bring me all that much pleasure. So I just didn't do it that much, you know? And so I want people to be, or I encourage them, um, if they want more, if they want more out of their intimacy and their sex life with their partner, there are some, uh, things to do that at first might seem awkward or uncomfortable or frustrating or boring but if you stick with it like the piano mm-hmm. right eventually you ended up having fun yeah and the more we do something even though it's challenging frustrating hard at first we get better at it over time and then we can develop our own you know style you know there are sexual styles um different ways of of experiencing things that that turn us on and you know, again, whether it's a musical instrument or a sport or learning a new language, you know, that can be frustrating. Um, you know, I go to Greece and I speak so, oh, so very little Greek just to get by in the store <laughs> when I want to buy stuff. And, you know, I'll go there uh, for a period of time and then and then obviously come back home for many, many months. Um, I, but initially I feel that feeling of frustration, you know, but I just kind of have to hang in there and, and sort of review what those phrases are and they come back and then it's fun. I think that's nice. Yeah, so it, it's it's just kind of that if we think about uh, you know, if you're whether you're doing school or getting a, a degree or you're, you know, trying to master carpentry or plumbing or whatever the thing is that you really want to get good at, sex is the same. It's the same effort that's required if we want to have greater enjoyment. Um, another thing I like to talk about with couples is the the fourth uh, element in reaching full sexual potential is expanding the exchange of emotional energy. So, you know, like giving off sexual vibes, um, like displays of eroticism to your partner. This makes a lot of people sort of recoil and go, oh, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) But, you know, and it can be as subtle as you want it to be, whether it's, you know, putting on an attractive little, you know, nighty around the house with your your partner or, you know, um, and that makes you feel good about yourself, right? When we put on a little bit of makeup or we dress up a bit, you know, uh, for our partner. Um, These things are all part of putting in effort. Uh, It's this feeling of aliveness when we take care of ourselves, right? Or or kind of make an effort for our partner. Um, It sounds like a lot of the... I might be going down a rabbit hole here. So if I am, I apologize. But it sounds like a lot of those things are inherently things that more the woman might do, like put on a little bit of makeup, put on the nighty. You know, what yeah. are what are some things that, you know, if it was the male in a relationship what, that they might want to do to give off those same vibes? Because, I mean, I don't really know of any lingerie for men, but... <laughs> If there is some any what, lingerie, any lingerie for men, oh. but if there is, oh. feel free to send it to us at the happy ending therapist and we'll, you know, take a look. <laughs> oh yeah. Fantastic. I love that. I love but, that. Um, there's actually, no, there's a men's magazine that I really like that I read called Esquire. Mm-hmm. And in Esquire, there's lots of ideas for guys. Uh, you know, it's sort of a how to, um, to be, you know, the best person in the world that you can be, meaning, you know ideas for how to dress, you mm. know, Hey, here's a list of jokes you can tell your colleagues or, or <laughs> things that you can, that will make your partner laugh when you right. get home. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the partner can say, honey, that, you know, oily, dirty t-shirt just doesn't turn me on. Can you, you Change know, it. get it, put on a nicer t-shirt, put on a fresh one, put on a fresh one. let's get dressed up or whatever. And again, I know, you know, going out in COVID is, is not as prevalent as pre-COVID, but you know, you there are ways that we to can... stay in though. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's right. Whip um, out the candles sure. and a nice bottle of wine and have a nice dinner at home. You got it. Yeah. Go get takeout. Come on back. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing. Um, like, let's say he wants sex and she's his so he's higher desire maybe she's lower desire um they can shift in terms of you know he can say hey honey you know it's wednesday night or it's thursday night and you know we plan to to, to do it tonight you know she she can say oh yeah uh, well i'm not quite there in that head yet how about you go get some oysters from the local seafood place yeah and uh 
we'll do that. So, so now you've got sort of uh, a sexual, um, you know, behavior combining with a non-sexual one to turn both partners on. Yeah. Because, you know, I talk about that. I talk about sexual touch, non-sexual touch, that kind of thing. Um, but getting back to this idea of aliveness and fun, you know, uh, Schnark talks about know, doing your partner and be done by your partner mm. in terms of sexuality, you know, get it on, um, <laughs> you know, the, the F word, right. I don't know if I should be saying it here on, on the podcast, but <laughs> I think we say worse you know. things than that. <laughs> <laughs> so that F word, you know, it's so interesting, you know, F your partner, right. So, so, um, that, that word is actually rooted in old English and mm. it means to plant, Literally, to to put the seed in the ground is to fuck. <laughs> and it's my my now passed away father-in-law, Dr. William Pat Nicolette, who taught me that. Uh, no who went way. to Brown and taught it taught at University of Massachusetts. Yeah, and uh, we would laugh and have fun with that one. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Not great. So you can look it up online again. It's old English. Um, so again, you know, this idea of having having fun with your partner, thinking about sex in a way that's, you know, even if you're angry at your partner or mad at your partner, put that into your sex life. You know, <laughs> do them. If you're mad at them, you get back at them by doing them and maybe do it your way. Um, you know, you can have fun with the surrender date. I love the idea of the surrender date. You can arrange that your partner will surrender to all of your desires, what you want and how you want the evening or the sex to go. Oh, wow. This this is a cool idea when when uh, you have two partners and one is uh, less assertive than the other mm-hmm. um, or one feels less empowered. You can actually plan the surrender date, which is that that the partner who's usually the one in charge or in control has to surrender to every single little thing that the other partner wants to do on that date. Wow. And this is obviously something that both partners come to and agree together to do. Oh, yeah, they would both have to agree, sure. And it would be, um, for example, you know, so so the, the partner who's surrendering, you're laughing. I'm just laughing at Paul. Oh, what's he saying? Paul's commenting, Paul is commenting from the peanut, on the conversation. He's commenting from the peanut gallery. Well, I want to know what Paul, what is Paul, Paul says, saying? sign me up. Oh, sign me up. <laughs> All right, Paul. Yeah, baby. Let's go. Yeah. So, so it's, you know, that if you, if let's say your partner says, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to be the boss tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to surrender. It could be from every little step of, you know, if you're the one in charge now. Because your partner is surrendering, and that's the assignment, and you both agree. You can tell them what you want them to wear, yeah. uh, where you want to go. You do all the ordering off the menu. Um, it's a know, nice you exercise, want- you know. Yeah, exactly. And it's it harkens back, Vicky. Thank you for mentioning this before. To the other element, which is this idea of you know using variety, right? Broadening the repertoire. Do, do something that do stuff that's different yeah. to get something different. Yeah, these elements, man. They all, yeah, they're not bad. They all come together. <laughs> <laughs> come together right now. And what's the fifth element? We have one more. So the fifth element is uh, increasing capacity for desiring and loving your partner. Um, you know, s- consciously seeing your partner as beautiful, lovable, and cherishing them. Intentionally cherishing them. And we forget to do that. We forget. We don't even know that we can do that. Um, and so it, it's a it, when couples come and say, you know, I, I just I don't I'm not in love really anymore. I don't feel that in love thing. Again, I'm going to say that is absolutely natural. That is how this works, that we we don't um, sustain that natural feeling of falling in love uh, for longer than a year or two or three or whatever. And then we have to start working on the intimacy part, um, which is that we have to make a conscious effort and intentional effort to see our partners um, as beautiful, lovable, and and cherish them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and be, be open to, you know, their influence and, you know, um, 
they they're there as long as they're there as long as both people show up for for the therapy whether it's sex therapy or couples therapy um i want them to assume goodwill i want them to assume that their partner's not going anywhere that they're in it and they want to work through it and they're there for the long haul that's where it gets tough right when it when it's out of that early stage and it it's all about being vulnerable and really opening yourself up that's when i i feel like it gets most difficult because it's scary sometimes Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and people make assumptions. And yeah, it it is scary. But again, that's the that's the tolerating our anxiety. That's learning how to master those feelings and and move forward anyway. That's courage. That's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Yeah. In anything. Right. Well, I love that. So I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Good. I love it, too. Well, well, those are so those are the five elements. Mm hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on for this one? Not really. Um, you know, in in the next one, we're going to be talking about not not reaching full sexual um, potential, but uh, full relational potential. I mean, I, I do want to recommend that women, if they're interested, look at that "Come as You Are" book by Emily Nagoski. And if they don't want to, you know, if they show up in sex therapy, we can talk about a lot of the really important points in there, which is that every level of desire is normal and natural. Um, you know that. Some women have responsive desire. Some women have spontaneous desire. Um, you know, and we could maybe spend a, a, another podcast on that, possibly. Absolutely. Um, you know, for, for sex, what I, I want women to hear loud and clear is that sex is about context. It's about what goes on from the minute we wake up to the, to the minute we go to bed. So if guys want more sex... Um, start doing stuff for your woman and have the woman, you know, I want, well, and not just in a heterosexual relationship, in a same-sex relationship, same thing. Mm. For the lower desire partner, maybe their their desire will increase if their partner reduces their burden by doing more around the house or taking on more of, of the division of labor, so to speak. So, you know, there's so many moving parts to all of this, but today, really, I just wanted to focus on on the sex itself. Um and, and I think, yeah, th- those elements of reaching full sexual potential from Schnark are, are handy. Very I handy. do, too. Okay, cool. All right, y'all. So thank you so much for joining us today uh, on Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. Thank you, Vicki, for joining me. And thanks, Paul, for your commentary in the back from the peanut gallery. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys can find me on Facebook at the Sex and Couples Therapist, on Instagram at the Happy Ending Therapist. Feel free to give a call to my office, which is 508-990-9909. You can find my website at www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. And as always, you know, my motto, please have pleasure and play and have passion. And it's the way to a, to a good and happy life. So thanks for joining me here and I'll see y'all next time. Bye-bye.